and we're back with Beyond Words with Felix and Al. It's Felix here, and this is episode 28. In this episode, we have quite an interesting conversation uh, that really was more of an adventure through words uh, and through seeing the traps of the mind. Within this episode, we start to see or observe how a lot of the mainstream media or a lot of the media nowadays is about creating sides, um, sides of belief, sides of anger, sides of frustration and amplifying those. And within that, we, we kind of notice the trap of creating these distinctions and fighting against the other, demonizing the other. Uh, and how this this tactic of divide and conquer <clears throat> seems to be more present nowadays than than ever, uh, or at least more in our faces. And so, as we began this adventure of, of words or of understanding, we begin to explore, you know, the places that that are demonized or that we, you know how as soon as we point the finger outwards we're actually pointing the finger back at ourselves there's that saying of if you point one finger out there's four pointing back at you and you know there is some truth to that so as we began exploring these ideas we 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 began to catch the traps that we were putting ourselves in as well and so really there was this spiral so to speak as we came back around and started to observe even how we were we were approaching this this topic so i really recommend you listen to the the whole episode uh, and check out the trajectory that that we were on as we began this exploration and uh, we really ended up in a place of of seeing how subtle that trap is of distinction or how subtle the trap is of judgment and how the continual use of that only furthers that that program and that's a program that we're hoping to eliminate um, in order to create more unity uh, or more, <laughs> more compassion uh, within the world <clears throat> so if you are listening to this episode please take the time to pause this episode Hit uh, that subscribe button, hit those five stars, leave us a nice little review. It really helps the algorithms. Also, if you are not a member of our Beyond Words Locals community, uh, we highly recommend you check that out. We're really trying to build an online community of like-minded people where we can share ideas, information, uh, so forth and so on. It's also a place where you can support uh, Al and myself If you are a member of our Beyond Words Locals page, uh, please reach out at any time, uh, drop us little messages, questions, um, anything you want. Uh, We love hearing from our subscribers, we love hearing from our listeners, so yeah, please, please engage with us more. That's the the place to do it. Uh, We also have our social media pages as well, um, but we're trying to move away from our social media pages uh, as a place of contact, but more towards our locals page. 
So again, thank you so much to all of our subscribers. Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. And here we go with Beyond Words, episode 28. And we are live. Hi, Felix. Hey, Al. Nice we're to back. see you, man. Yeah, we're back. Nice we're back good again. To see you, man. <laughs> nice, sunny, beautiful day. I can see in Waran. Uh, we've had the same here in Berlin. Winter is finally, it seems, finished, although the trees are hesitant to sprout new leaves. Uh, but wow, man, a bit of sunshine and warm weather does wonders for my mood. Marta and I took a walk. We have, there's like a forest by our house and we took our shoes off and we were walking barefoot in the forest and walking barefoot is pretty amazing. Feels good. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. And what's it like having seasons again? I mean, living here in Peru, we have two seasons, sun, you know, dry or rainy. That's it. Yeah. I mean, here in the mountains, especially. So. You know, uh, Ask me that question again once I've been through all four seasons because for now I've just been through winter and winter's kind of sucks. But there were moments, there were some magical days where it snowed, but it was sunny and there was snow on the ground. That was cool. But the kind of gray, the grayness and how dark it is during the winter, not my favorite. Uh, but spring is pretty nice and summer will be even better. So. Um, yeah, seasons really add a whole new like element of like concept of time. Like, I, I, it seems like with seasons, time is more distinguishable. Whereas in Peru, with, with two seasons, or in the jungle where it was basically one season. I mean, it rained a bit more at times, but it, it was just like it's the same year round. So it's hard to like remember. Like here, here where there's seasons, you associate a memory with, oh, during that winter, this and that, or during that summer, you know, really associating it with what's going on with the weather. So we don't really do that in Peru. Uh, so it's a kind of a different, different way of tracking time, I guess. Yeah, it's funny because like when I talk to people from back home, they're like, oh, you know, you know, it's it's uh, January here and it's still really cold and uh you know so forth it's january wait what like i i missed you know like december and all that where where am i yeah it's so hard to like tell time when your seasons are very much the same like we kind of have a flat line season here yeah. closer to the equator totally totally yeah it's, it's just different i you know and i appreciate both uh ways i think the seasons are great but also i do enjoy consistently pretty nice weather all year like we have in peru so at least in the sacred valley i don't like jungle heat year round that that, that does get old <laughs> eventually but yeah how's it so how is it there like with you know it's funny the u.s like i get emails from the u.s state department like from the embassies because i'm like on the i registered for the alerts or whatever and today I got emails from the Peru embassy and from the one in Germany. And they like raised the alert level to level four 
do not travel uh, because of the pandemic. And, and in Germany, it's level four, do not travel because of the pandemic and because of the threat of terrorism. And I was just thinking to myself, like, so you're saying that it's safer in the States, <laughs> like pandemic wise, <laughs> and with regards to quote unquote terrorism and violence, like, so like, is it better in the States or is it about the same? Uh, and who decides these things, you know? But it's very dramatic, this level four alert. And it makes you think that the US is somehow uh, a paradise that's immune to any problems, whereas here is somehow terrible. <laughs> or in Peru, you know. In Peru, sometimes we'd get the, I'd get the notification. So what's, what's happening in Germany? Nothing. There's just like, I guess just like always a lingering threat of terrorism in Europe, because I checked every European country and they all have the same advisory, but I don't think there's more terrorism threat here than in the States, you know, it's just, for whatever reason, they just like up the alert, but no one here is like running around worried about terrorism. I mean, it I'm sure it can happen, but it's not like their risk is any higher now than at any other time, as far as I know. <laughs> it, it, it reminds me of like post 9-11. I was living in Hawaii at the time and I remember they would have uh, like this sliding scale of threat of terrorism yeah, in, I remember. like that they would mark every single day at the school like and i was like even here we need to be careful about that in my high school like i don't I'm not sure i understand the <laughs> issue i know now we have to like add that to the covid like alert levels there's just so much to be scared of man i don't know if i should leave home it's it's funny because I was watching um, Oceans 12 yesterday, which is not my favorite Oceans. I don't know if you've ever watched the Ocean series. Yeah, it's been a long time, though. In Oceans 12, they basically they get caught by Terry Benedict because of another thief. And they go to they go to Germany, actually they go to Amsterdam. Sorry. And in Amsterdam, they find this guy that they're going to rob the first bond ever deal from this guy and the first what this guy the first stock bond ever written was signed and owned by this collector of rare antiques and they were going to rob him and so in this you know tr attempting to rob this guy they find out he's agoraphobic which is like he doesn't leave his house and during this time they're kind of like laughing and they're making fun of him and they're like oh you know let's smoke the freak out get him out of his house and uh, Matt Damon's character, he's like, hey, 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 you think we should be, you know, stealing from a handicapped guy? And it was funny because it just made me think of like how now agoraphobia, agoraphobia is kind of like commonplace in the world. And I'm like, actually, am I agoraphobic? Like, I don't really leave my property very often. <laughs> and like, I go to jujitsu or take a motorcycle ride around the neighborhood. And that's about it. Yeah. It was kind of like putting things in perspective. Yeah, we live in a, it's almost celebrated now. A lot of people would say that you're stupid for leaving your home because you're putting yourself at risk. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's a celebration of agoraphobia. 
a celebration of the fear of leaving home. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> also, uh, Matt Damon's character, if they wrote that movie now, he probably wouldn't even have been able to call it handicap. That's controversial. You can't like, you can't make fun of handicap. So what's the term now? Uh, you just don't talk about it. <laughs> it's just not. Then how do you differentiate? But how do you differentiate between somebody who's? I don't. Know, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either, man. I'm just. Uh, I think lately I'm just noticing all the. Yeah, just the political correctness obsession and the uh, the political dialogue in the states. You know how it is. Uh, yeah, I'm just noticing it and I'm just kind of over it, you know? Um, so yeah, <laughs> wild times. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard, like, ultimately it feels like there's some kind of good intention within it of like, uh, you know, not being mean to one another. Sure. But within that, like we're removing all aspects, of, like we're removing word, we're removing certain dialogues people can have. Uh, I think it's like, it, it's terrifying because it's more of a censorship push than anything. It can have whatever name it wants in front of it, but it ultimately turns into censorship. Um, kind of what led me into like watching Bill Hicks again recently. I love Bill Hicks. You know, he literally was able to say whatever he wanted on stage and it could be the most heinous, weirdest shit ever. And he just kept spewing it and spewing it and spewing it without fear of repercussions. And what I've noticed now with a lot of celebrities and a lot of uh, mainstream stand-up comedians is they're, they can barely say anything, mm -hmm. you know? And as without offending someone, or there's some line that they cross just immediately with by offending somebody. And, and it's like, wow, did our skins become that thin that we get offended at even jokes, you know? And, and that's, that's scary to me. Cause it's, I, I don't know. I, I, that's not how the world is. <clears throat> yeah. And it's also super disempowering when we try to create a like a nerf society, like nerf, like, you know, the foam nerf balls so people don't get hurt. So we try to create all these rules on what you can and can't say so you don't offend or hurt anybody. And meanwhile, so people are, everything's all nerfed out. And then the day that somebody encounters like something that is painful or offensive, they just freak out because they no longer have the tools to actually have thick skin and to not take shit personally. And you know, I think it's an impossible exercise to try to protect, preemptively protect every single person from being offended. It's ridiculous. And, you know, it's actually, uh, I think it's in a lot of ways, uh, in a lot of ways, it's basically assuming that people are weak and you know, this idea of like trying to protect everybody, you know, is really disempowering to them. And I think it's, uh, it's presumptuous and like, 
kind of uh, like belittling and dismissive and <laughs> of people to actually be able to fend for themselves and to be able to handle criticism or to be able to handle a joke. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a bummer. Um, I understand that it initially came from a good place, you know, of, you know, there was this whole movement, maybe it was like 15 years ago, like against bullying in school, you know, and I think it kind of has a lot of roots in that same thing, but I think it's one thing to, to want to protect children, you know, from bullying in school. But when we apply that same kind of ideology to trying to protect grown adults from other grown adults speech, not even from, you know, violent actions, but just words, it's like, come on, man, let's, let's like grow up and grow some skin. And yeah, so it's a bit, uh, I just think that our culture in the United States is going through this like adolescent phase uh, and it's just trying to figure itself out. And, you know, I'm optimistic that people will grow out of it. Um, I think one troubling aspect for me is it's like the leadership of the United States, you know, no matter who's in power, but the leadership isn't really leading. They're just like, they're jumping onto one side of the story and only acknowledging the people on their side, you know, whatever their political views are and completely dismissing like the other side, which happens to be like half the country, dismissing them as bad people or as, you know, whatever the word you wanna throw around. Um, but I think a true leader would like rise above the divisiveness and actually acknowledge both sides and really understand where both sides are coming from. And rather than just like jumping up, being part of a side, like that's not leadership. It's just like ch childish um, behavior really, you know? So I would love to see like true leadership. That's not just idiotic politics. It's so stupid. The, the U S is like the, the political scene right now is a total joke and it's it's embarrassing it's embarrassing like the dialogue and the rhetoric that's happening so you know uh it's just childish yeah so anyway uh i hope to see a real leader one day who can be a mature person about it and recognize that being on either side of the equation is not going to solve anything so Well, it's interesting with that, yeah, the wanting to protect everyone. I mean, I, in some senses, I understand that. But yeah, it's like we can't, we can't live in bubbles. We can't live in, you know, I know a lot of people want to right now, especially with the fear of the pandemic, the fear of whatever's happening politically, fear of terrorism. Uh, people want to live in a bubble, but you can't uh, take yourself off the earth while you live here. You have to live here in the earth. And I, I think of my, one of my younger brothers, he, uh, he's deaf and growing up, like on the school bus, people would make fun of him. They'd push him around and we'd have a lot of fights because of that, just because he was deaf and people were making fun of him. And so there was a big aspect of me that really developed this thing of like, I will protect those who, you know, mm -hmm. can't protect themselves in a sense. And what I later realized is I can't. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything to stop him from going into his own class and getting made fun of. You know, even as a kid, I thought he was the strongest person I know just because of what he would face verbally, uh, physically from other kids. 
And man, you know, who he is now, he's, he's got a really big skin because of that. You know, he's adopted, he's uh, half Native American, half Cuban, he's deaf, like he's already in some ways like put down in so many ways. And, you know, now I look at him and man, he laughs at every one of those attempts at somebody trying to bring him down. Mm -hmm. He thinks, and then he'll tell more jokes on top of that. You know, he makes jokes about him being deaf. He makes jokes about him, you know, being adopted or whatever. He, he thinks it's funny because he knows like, man, you really can't hurt me now. Like I've faced a lot of pain as a kid, you know, trying to defend myself and, and yeah. show who I am. And I realized that no, no matter what people said to me, it didn't change who I was. Mm-hmm what happens to people, why we become so sensitive is because we don't know who we are. We get lost in like, like you said about the politicians and the wave of what's the most popular thing. And even if we don't agree with it and we lose ourselves, we lose ourselves fighting for whatever injustice or whatever uh, thing that's opposing us. And oftentimes we lose ourselves in that fight. There's a, another great quote, which is, which I relate often to ceremony, but it's like, be careful when you're fighting monsters or demons or whatever, that you don't become a demon or a monster. Mm. And it, you know, I watch people demonize and demonize and demonize, hate this side and hate that side. And oftentimes they're actually doing exactly what they're saying. They don't want this other person to do. that's That's a quote that's, I think, really needed right now. Um, you know, I, I even see that happen within myself when I pick a side and, you know, as it relates politically in the States and there's just such a righteousness that arises from one side. Um, and that righteousness turns into a hatred, a bigotry, everything that that righteousness claims to be fighting, it becomes. And, uh, it's really sneaky. And I think a lot of people don't even realize that they've fallen, you know, into that trap. Uh, and, maybe they just have to go through it. You know, my hope is that, I don't know, sometimes I don't have much hope for it actually. <laughs> you know, they're, they're in the mainstream culture, there isn't much to point people in that direction to recognize, you know, to kind of rise above their own view and their own story about what's going on in the world, to rise above, um, you know, the, the manipulation and the views that are imposed by the media that they consume to rise above that and recognize, you know, how motivated and how dece- deceptive the media itself is. And, you know, I think that's absolutely spot on. And just back to your little brother, like, you know, that he was forged in the fire, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's people that have been through that kind of struggle that come out of it and it's, it's truly, you know, I, I, and you know, I don't think everyone has the same outcome as your, as your little brother, like the way he is today. I think some people, you know, getting bullied growing up, it can oftentimes the trauma of that, you know, turns into addiction and it turns into, you know, them being bullies themselves towards others, you know, all this stuff can happen as a result of that. Um, but nonetheless, you know, there's something to be said about 
the struggles that we go through in our journey. And if we live in a society that's trying to protect us from those struggles, uh, then we don't grow, we don't evolve. And the second we face a real struggle after being shielded and protected our whole lives, we fold, we're incapable of handling uh, adversity. So I'm really, that's an amazing story about your little brother. And, um, you know, as I relate to my own story, like I'm grateful for every struggle I've ever had in my life. I wasn't grateful in the moment, but I also experienced bullying. I experienced all kinds of shit growing up and um, it sucked, but going through it, uh, it forged me, it shaped who I am. And I think it helped to develop a strong character, um, you know, that, that I hope plays a positive role as I raise my daughter, who's going to be born soon, you know, so these things get passed along. And, you know, I think this is a topic we've discussed quite a bit, you know, we've talked about the lack of initiation in, in modern culture and in our culture. And again, what is an initiation? It's like going through a struggle, which is like a coming of age experience um, to prepare us for, for life. And it's like now where our culture is busy trying to uninitiate everybody or trying to protect them from the initiation of life. And it's just making a bunch of soft and scared and uh, feeble people. And that's not helpful for anybody because eventually those people have to come face to face with the fact that they're human, that they're frail, that they're mortal, and uh, that their ideas and stories actually aren't ultimately true. So uh, it's a quite a conundrum to deal with. Well, yeah, I, I think for me experiencing this so much, like growing up religious, it was, it was a really big eye opener. Um, growing up in the Mormon church, you know, being Christian, so forth and so on, we're, we're constantly spouting out these things like, Oh, you know, be like Jesus, love everyone, love thy neighbor as thyself, love thy enemy even more than you love than your friend, you know, and I'd watch this rhetoric come out of all these different people from the church. And then, you know, behind the scenes, they're doing the complete opposite over mm -hmm. and over and over again. It was, you know, they're, oh, I can't believe the Catholics do this. And I can't believe they do this and this, and this. And I was just like, how is this anything close to what you actually believe? Mm -hmm. So where, where is the disconnect between, you know, the true, the truth of what you see or what you desire and your actions to get there? Hmm. You know, if I want, if I'm hoping for racial equality, I don't demonize another side of the race. If hmm. I'm hoping for, you know, uh, peace in Israel, I don't go and bomb them first to show them how strong we are. So, you know, you say like, look, you know, now you should be at peace because we just showed you how big and buff we are. Hmm. If I want to beat somebody up, you know, that's not a good analogy. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. It's just, I think that we do the opposite of what we desire as far as an outcome to try and get the outcome. And that obviously doesn't bring the right outcome. Mm -hmm. If we want overall peace in the way we speak and the way we behave and all these things, we don't start, creating a demon or demonizing another side because mm -hmm. we're doing the exact same thing exactly and i think this is why like i, I definitely tattooed hang sign 
or the Dow sign on my wrists, on both wrists, is like to constantly remember, like, no matter how hard I'm pushing in to be in the light, there's a dark element that's behind me. Or no matter how hard, you know, people are pushing into the dark, there's actually something light behind that. They desire something really beautiful. They just don't see it. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, like you said, that the challenge is actually having opportunities to step outside of the, the overall system to look at it, to really examine and see, wait, what am I actually doing? What, what is this campaign towards whatever? What is that doing? And how does the other side feel about it? Hmm. And, you know, I think of this, you know, I, I absolutely am pro-feminist movement. Like, I love I love the entire female movement. I love, I love that. But for to demonize, it's the male's fault, or it's this person's fault, or this aspect of our society's fault. They're starting to do the same thing that the males did initially, or whatever whatever part of our society did initially. It's, oh, you know, like, you know, women shouldn't be able to vote because they do this. Well, men shouldn't be able to do anything like this because they don't actually know the struggles that we've gone. We're just creating the same opposition over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. It's this cyclical bullshit. And, and mm -hmm. we're not going to go anywhere until we actually figure out we're just spinning wheels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the Taoist teaching is so relevant. And it's like the world, or at least the States, but I think a lot of the world is so not Tao right now. It's such a pendulum and it's the repetitive cycle and people are just riding the pendulum without awareness of the pendulum itself. And so they're jumping on the pendulum and screaming at each other and feeling righteous. Meanwhile, they're blindly swinging on the pendulum, creating momentum in a direction that's going to have to come back the other way. And it's going to swing the other way just as much. And there's going to be all kinds of drama and a bullshit when it goes the other way. So, uh, but maybe that's just part of the evolution of humanity, of societies and, and of us as individual human beings. It's like, eventually we swing back and forth on that pendulum enough that we get tired of swinging. We get exhausted from the ride and we step off, whether it's individually or collectively. And I think in my own journey, and a lot of this has to do with plant medicine, um, showing me this, but I think just also life experience is, you know, I became more and more aware of the pendulum that I was on and how I attached to certain ideas and outcomes and emotions and stories about people and how exhausting it was. And, uh, and so my own journey is about, you know, when I can remember it's to step off the pendulum and watch it swing and just stay hear and watch the pendulum and not not uh jump on the ride as much so you know i think that's what our country is doing you know and and unfortunately in history you know if you look at societies uh, as the pendulum swings stronger and stronger from one side to the other it eventually leads to like some kind of explosiveness you know whether it's a civil war or just something not nice, something has to give in order for the pendulum to settle down again. There has to be some kind of release of energy. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that that's where it's going in the States, civil war or anything, but 
Um, and I would love for it to come to a peaceful resolution, but you know, something's got to give, something needs to be released for people to be able to step back and realize what they're doing. And I'm talking about uh, both sides of this story in the States. Um, but you know, the other aspect of it that sometimes gets confusing for me is that I'm aware that a lot of the a lot of the division in the states that's that I'm that I'm reading through media or social media is contrived. So there are people, um, you know, agents from other countries that are actually creating division through social media, and so um, they'll they'll create Facebook you know accounts and pose as Americans creating, and, and they'll just say really uh, um, uh, controversial and divisive things. And they'll create groups on Facebook and then they'll create like meetups and protests. And a lot of it's just like foreign created to, to like keep driving division because it weakens the country. And so another aspect, it's like when I get involved with these stories mentally and I get worked up about it, part of me is like, am I, am I just being duped? Like, is this whole fucking division being fabricated or at least a big part of it? Like how many of us are being duped by some, I don't know, some Russian dude or wherever the hell they are, just like creating division. And I imagine American agents are doing the same to other countries. You know, it's, it's, it's when you divide the people, you weaken the country. So, um, you know, that's another aspect of the whole thing <laughs> as well. That's a bit tricky. So yeah, personally, I'm just working on uh, seeing the pendulum and just trying to yeah, not, not get involved so much. I'm not reading as, about it as much, but once in a while I am curious about, you know, the dialogue and what's going on. And, you know, and it's just like, if I read the mainstream news in the States, then I could easily get the picture that the whole country is pretty much united and that there's only a very small proportion of like seriously racist, terrible people. Um, but then when I, dig deeper and I get beyond the head, the like mainstream narrative headlines, I realize that actually uh, there's about half the country that doesn't agree with the mainstream headlines and they don't consider themselves racist and it's very complicated. So uh, I find that really interesting, that whole narrative um, that's somehow that America is full of racists that, you know, I I don't really, I don't know any racists. I know that they exist, but are there really like 200 million of them? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it keeps bringing up this quote by uh, Malcolm X, where he talks about the media. He says the media is the single most powerful uh, entity here in the United States. Mm -hmm can make criminals look like heroes and heroes look like criminals. That's interesting. And, and yeah, and you know, what this duking thing that's being played is, is such a, a good question to ask. And how often am I being manipulated by the media itself? You know, I, we often talk about how in the morning, like I'll sit out here with my mapacho and my coffee and I'll browse the internet. Well, Nine times out, or sorry, 10 times out of 10, if I turn any kind of headline on, any headline, I don't care if it's even, it seems depressing. As soon as I turn one headline on and it, I read it, 
I'm immediately in a different mood. Like something happens, something shifts in me where I'm automatically in a different mood. Seeing that kind of manipulation, even in simple news stories. And it was like, an, you know, I, it was recently a news story about basically the two Peruvian candidates for president currently. And it was from a different country. And it said, oh, Peru is in big trouble, stuck between the lessers of two evils. And, you know, it threw me into the biggest funk for, for days, just thinking, oh, you know, like now I have to leave Peru because they have these two really evil candidates. And, and it wasn't until I actually spoke to a local that they're like, oh, no, don't worry. You know, like this ex-president was like this. And like the amount of government that's been established to to eradicate people like this is, is here it's okay that i felt better and yeah i'm just i'm more cautious about i'm trying to be more and more cautious about these little holes that this media snake gets into my brain and which which ones i'm letting in and it's not that i want to negate and be completely ignorant to what's going on in the world but Times the news stories are manipulated so much that they make it as exciting as they can or as energized, so emotionally charged as possible in order to capture the reader. You know, mm -hmm. if I'm going to write a fictional story, I got to make sure the first six pages are going to grab you, are really going to pull you in and be make you interested and invested in the story. Well, we're ignorant to think that the media doesn't do the same because they, they, are selling a product. They're selling their, their brand of media. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's really crucial what you do though, in that you, you read the story and then you tune in and you notice how it impacts you, how it impacts your mood in the moment. So um, not even, it's not even about the story itself, but it, you're, you're noticing the actual impact on your mental, emotional, and physical state of what you consume. And I think that's a really important point because so many of us uh, just kind of go through life on autopilot and we take for granted the actual impact that a lot of our activities have. Um, and right now a big, a big topic on that is, is our digital media consumption. You know, I just read somewhere that I think it was 2018, 2019, a study found that the average American is now spending 11 hours per day in front of a screen, 11 hours. So if we spend about 16 hours awake each day, that's 11 out of 16 hours. That's, you know, nearly two thirds of our waking hours uh, as a collective. And it's a really surprising number. But then I thought, well, you know, on days when I'm working on my computer and then I go from my computer to checking my phone and then at night we watch a movie, it's like, I'm not that far off from that. Um, so I think it's, it's super important to just tune in and just notice how these things impact me. What, you know, if I'm using the computer, what, what news stories, like what media consumption impacts me? Can I feel it? Um, I think it takes a certain practice to cultivate an awareness and sensitivity to actually feel what this does. Um, and I think certainly plant medicine uh, is something that really helps. It's helped me a lot to just gain more of a sensitivity to how these things impact me. 
Um, but I also just, you know, meditation, yoga, other practices that just really bring us in tune with our body and our mind and our emotional state uh, can, can help to increase our awareness of like how these activities impact us. And from there, we can make choices and decisions, you know, knowing, okay, if I'm going to go read the news right now, I know that it's going to do this and this to my mental state. Do I want to do that right now? You know, so we're more informed consumers of media. I've been, you know, this applies to like food too. So I think on the last podcast, we talked about like, you know, living, I was reading this book about like living primally or uh, uh, paleo. Paleo, yeah. And in this book, the guy calls it primal because it's not just about diet, but, um, but I've been experimenting, you know, with like cutting out um, just like all, all processed foods, cutting out, um, uh, like grains. So the idea is that like ancestrally, we didn't have agriculture. We didn't have grains. We weren't eating just like processed wheat and corn and all this stuff. Um, and so cutting that out because it causes inflammation apparently and insulin spikes, all this stuff and just eating just like, uh, fruits, vegetables, meats. And that's pretty much it. A lot of fat, like fatty stuff, but like healthy fats. And then once in a while, you know, I'll have like, I had ice cream the other day. Like, so once in a while as a treat, I'll have something. I'm not like super anal about it. But one thing I notice is that like, after cutting out like excessive sugar and carbohydrates, when I have it, even if I have like uh, rice or noodles, like I notice it in my body. I notice the spike of like my, of my blood sugar. I notice this rush and I can feel my body just like working super hard to process all this stuff. And the only reason I notice it is because I took a break from it. I cut it out. So, um, you know, if, if people listening are concerned about their own consumption of digital media, um, or if they feel it's impacting them, you know, one suggestion I have, and I, I should follow this myself, is to take a week off, like, you know, like a diet. So take a week off from it to redevelop your sensitivity to these things so that you can really feel the impact. And then it's easier to make a choice not to do it. Like it's much easier for me to not eat a Snickers bar now than it was five years ago because I'm just physically, it impacts me and it's it's not fun. So like it tastes good, but the physical impact is just not worth it so much. So I don't do it. I don't, you know, I'm not avoiding it because I feel guilty or because I think it's bad for me, but because I feel it in my body. So I think that principle can be applied to to digital activity as well. If we take a break from it, like you had a diet recently, and I imagine that that taking space from all that, the, the more you do that in your life, the more you feel the impact of these of these activities. No, totally. And and I think I think one of the biggest challenges for people to to recognize, especially the listeners who decide to do this as you step away from these things is recognize how hard it is and what all the justifications that come forward before you do. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where a lot of people get stuck. And, you know, I think that's, that's a big hurdle that, that a lot of us need to learn to start to overcome. Uh, you know, that, that goes for training jujitsu, you know, jujitsu is something new. Um, jujitsu is hard. Sit on your chest and they beat the crap out of you because they're better at jujitsu. And, you know, there's, there's sometimes that I see new people come in 
they do a couple of classes. They really enjoy it, but they realize how hard it is to get to blue belt or purple belt or brown belt. And they're like, yeah, okay, cool. Like that was fun, but I don't think it's, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can devote myself to this amount of time to learn something new. And, you know, the same thing goes setting down the phone. I don't think I could set it down. I don't want to miss a phone call. I don't want to miss, you know, the new latest update on my Facebook. I don't want to miss the new TV show that's coming out on Netflix. Like there's this weird hesitation and, and something interesting and, and personally very challenging during the diet. Like the diet, this recent diet was very intensive. And I had noticed like I had used my phone recently a lot more than out. And within that, it was my coping mechanisms for the challenges of feeling the overall circumstances of the world. And so as soon as I set it down, there was this little panic attack that hit me of like, mm -hmm. oh, no, I have nothing to get away from this. I can't I can't leave this internal state that I'm facing currently. And I really it was scary. It was scary to see how much I had become dependent on some source, bringing me comfort other than me finding comfort within myself. Hmm. And I, and I think that's probably the most dangerous. That's, that was the biggest awakening around technology that I had recently of just how much I jumped to that as a form of comfort instead of actually, you know, getting outside and doing things that I know will bring me comfort, but take more work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that's so interesting. Um, and I think it's a really important point. It's because I've also noticed that uh, when I put the phone down and I turn it off or whatever, there is a brief period where I feel this, like, like you said, like a mini panic attack. And I think so many of us are actually um, consciously or not, uh, we're using it like a drug or feeling a void. Um, and you know, a lot of times the void that we're feeling, if we just actually allow it to express, allow that little panic attack to process, we're okay. Like, it's okay, we get through it. And so, you know, it's like going into a diet. Uh, for me, when I go into diet with plants and I put the phone down and all that, it, it's, there's definitely a couple days where my mind is just like detoxing and there's nothing to grasp onto in terms of like feeding it with a phone or with information and it's it's a struggle and then it passes and then i'm free again so uh that, that it's absolutely an addiction i think it's like a massive large scale addiction filling a void and the void needs to be seen and and allowed to express instead of just spending our lives avoiding it and now we're doing that with uh, screens with media, with consumption of social media, with everything like that. So <sighs> yeah, you know, Gabor Mate, uh, he's like the guru of trauma and addiction. And um, there's this new movie coming out. Uh, I have access to like a screener of it, but I, I just watched the trailer. And in the trailer, there's a quote from him or someone's like interviewing him and they're like, Basically, Gabor, so when you go around the world, you see trauma, you see, like, he doesn't really see the people, he sees the trauma that's, um, that is behind how people are in the world, how they act, their program. 
and you know he defines trauma as like trauma isn't what happened to you trauma is how what happened to you affects you so i think it, it's a very fine dis, dis, uh, distinction but basically it's not about what happened it's about like it's about Anyway, I can't even explain it, but it makes sense in my mind. Uh, but this movie, I'm uh, just looking it up right now. Uh, it looks really cool for anyone interested in trauma. And he talks about addiction and all of everything that we're discussing as well. Um, uh, it's called The Wisdom of Trauma. And uh, it looks pretty fascinating. So yeah, so we're collectively traumatized in a lot of ways uh, to varying degrees and we fill the gap, we fill the void. And it's so easy to fill the void now. Um, I think it's just easier and easier to avoid and to uh, distract ourselves. Um, but it seems the more we do that, the more this void is like, the more hungry it gets and the more we have to distract ourselves and we just get further and further down the rabbit hole of distraction because we just never take the moment. Maybe it's all it takes is a couple of days to just see it, let it come up. Well, it's interesting you bring up trauma because <clears throat> I think, <clears throat> you know, not only are, you know, there's these two sides of mentalities which are choosing to be either a victim of the trauma and allow that trauma to continue manifesting outwardly in the world which is kind of, it kind of goes back to where we started in the beginning is, okay, our country had this trauma, our country has a trauma, and we're going to continually avoid the actual trauma itself and keep pointing it, bringing it into the present. Or there's the, the harder path, which is facing the trauma, <clears throat> facing the behavior that's interacting through the trauma, and then recognizing the actual world and interacting with the world. So instead of, I, instead of me going out into a crowd of people with the filter of nobody likes me, I'm traumatized and I'm scared, I've confronted that. I'm able to actually see things as they are. Or, you know, I'm afraid to speak because I was shut down as a child. So I'm never going to say anything about anything now as an adult because, well, I'm scared. I haven't, I haven't healed this hole in myself. And, you know, I really don't need to say anything because, you know, it hurt me now or, or you know, I'm, I'm afraid now. But, you know, I've learned my coping mechanism for my trauma, which is my addiction, which is my escape from reality. And I know I'm safe there. And that's very comfortable. And I don't have to go anywhere to, to actually face anything. Now, there's a, a quote by Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, those who exchange safety for freedom or sorry, safety for liberty never deserve liberty in the first place, mm. never deserve either. And it's the, it's the same, it's kind of a reflection of this trauma aspect. I'm not denying trauma, I'm not denying that trauma was hard or is hard on people's lives. But as long as that trauma sits in the back of our VA and continues to pull the strings, we can never live life, period. Mm -hmm. That means unaddressed trauma, it becomes the, the main, it becomes our world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so everywhere we look, we're going to see the same reflection of that trauma over and over and over and over again. 
without ever breaking free of that. Again, going back to that wheel. I don't want to spin my wheels anymore. I want to live life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I And with regards to trauma, whether it's personal or like a collective trauma, I think so much emphasis right now and focus is on, it's like we're fighting the past. It's like to deal with this trauma, we are, we're, we're fighting, like people are fighting something. We're, I'm fighting against everything that happened in the past and there's this fight happening i'm talking like you know political societal in the states and that's like in my view that's not addressing the trauma it's just fighting and creating more trauma so uh ultimately it comes down to like forgiveness and forgiveness is just a word in some sense like there but there is I think there's a lack of an intentionality in our society to actually truly forgive, to forgive the past. To, and forgiveness is a very powerful process that, you know, you know, Jesus taught forgiveness. And for a lot of people, including myself, until I studied this more deeply, but the, the idea of forgiveness was just like, oh, someone did me harm, I forgive them. Like, it's just like words and you're forgiving somebody else for something they did to you. But actually forgiveness is like the deep medicine of forgiveness is actually letting go, forgiving a story, forgiving a mental program that I've been telling myself that is, you know, maybe rooted in trauma, rooted in history, rooted ancestrally, but it's not the trauma. It's not what happened to my ancestors. That's keeping me down. It's, me continuously playing the story of what happened to my ancestors is keeping down. It's my response to that. It's the story that's been passed down to me generation after generation or that's being propagated by my society about what happened to me. And forgiveness is actually seeing that it's, it's, it's a program, it's a story. And true forgiveness that comes through a process that starts with an intention to forgive is actually letting go of the story and seeing that it is a story and seeing that my, the only thing holding me back, the only limitation in my life is the story that I'm holding on to. It's not about anything else, it's personal. And so forgiveness for me is not about anybody else. It's not about me forgiving anybody else. It's about me forgiving myself and forgiving the stories that I've been holding on to that have held me back in my life. And that's a continuous process uh, that obviously is not complete for me, <laughs> but it's something that, uh, that I continuously try to bring awareness to. Uh, it's, it's personal. And I think right now, culturally, societally in the US, we're in a stage of still of blame, of uh, victim mentality of, you know, and I think it's just part of the journey. And I think that, you know, in my own personal journey, I went through those types of stages and eventually that just got tiresome because it wasn't healing me. It wasn't going anywhere. Uh, And so, you know, I trust in the medicine of life to bring this message to everybody, (laughs) including myself, uh, that that's the true medicine. It's the letting go of the story of the trauma. Well, I think of like, if I've, offended somebody or somebody's offended me, I have to wait for them to recognize that in order for me 
this is the thinking now, you know, I have to wait for them to say, oh, I've done something wrong in order to, to face forgiveness. Actually, no, that you have to do that before they even begin to say sorry, or they may never say sorry. And that's the mm-hmm. whole point. That's why it's so hard. And this, this work of <clears throat> unraveling yourself from the stories and unraveling yourself from the traumas is it's so hard. And I think that's why so many people would rather sit in the blame game or sit within pointing the finger because it's so, it's so easy there. You don't have to take any responsibility for anything. You know, you can continue to live your life as you're living, even if you're a complete asshole, but still say it's the rest of the world that's done things to you. That's why, you know, you behave this way. But that just goes back to where your trauma is. You know, my, my dad beat me when I was a kid. I'm not saying this is an example. <laughs> my, dad, my dad beat me as a kid. And so I'm in danger around all kinds of men everywhere. Is that true? No, I have incredible men, like friends that are men in my life. None of them have beat me unless we go to jujitsu, but that's a very different thing. You and know? it's an agreement. <laughs> but I have to recognize that I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not five years old anymore. That there is this separation where I've become an adult and I now have a greater awareness to see how people really are. And this is, you know, I love the mind. I love unraveling the mind. I love seeing where all of these influences sneak in, in all kinds of situations where I, and I miss so many of them. That's the problem. I miss a lot of them. And when I find these new unconscious behaviors, it's like striking gold because there's a whole avenue of things I haven't seen. And this is where I think plant medicine is essential. I think taking breaks from the overall stimuli of our world is essential. I think getting out into nature is essential because it gives us the opportunity to step outside of our comfort zone or our comfort bubble of numbing into a place of being able to see where things are itchy and scratchy. I brought this up. We just recently had a a group come through and, and drink medicine. And, you know, one thing I said to the group in the beginning was like, there's an incredible man by the name of Shunru Suzuki Roshi, and he wrote Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And one thing he repeats throughout this entire book is always a beginner, begin again, begin again, begin again. And another thing he, he points out about the Western mind or the Western civilization, the civilized world, so to speak, is that the reason so many Western civilizations are ill is because they move so quickly. They're constantly in motion, trying to figure out the next thing, trying to do the next thing, doing the next thing, and they just keep moving. They're keeping themselves busy. And he says what happens when they start the path of meditation, especially Zen Buddhism, is they stop. And once they stop, they realize they're in pain. Once they realize they're in pain, they realize where the poison has come in and has come in through the behaviors constantly being busy. The, it's so hard to sit and meditate. It's so hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even in a pretty simple life I live here, it's very hard. I have to drag myself by my, my ears to get up there. But as soon as I sit, like I feel so much better because I see what I've been ignoring even in a day. You know, and we've done this and I've done this personally for years. I've ignored myself for years. 
And so that's, that's, you know, one of the big reasons I needed to come to plant medicine or I needed to start facing myself in a drastic way is I just, I couldn't feel myself anymore. I wasn't me. Yeah. And some deep part of you was yearning to feel yourself again. It's like so many people, when I see people come to plant medicine retreats, it's, it's like, no matter where someone is at in their life and dealing with trauma or whatever it is, eventually there's a calling that's just too strong to ignore of like, I, I want to like, let this go. I want to wake up. I want to feel myself. I want to connect. There's something greater out there. And eventually like the struggle just gets, people get so too tired. Like <laughs> there comes a point. Uh, and, you know, with your meditation practice, you know, for me, just this conversation has that same effect for me. And so, you know, meditation is, is, is a super valuable practice and it's super effective for that, for gaining awareness about oneself, for gaining awareness on the dark corners of our psyche that we've been trying to avoid or unresolve, you know, maybe I have some resentment towards someone and, you know, meditation, I can really see it. Plant medicine helps with that these kinds of conversations that are, you know, like real conversations, heartfelt conversations with someone where we're addressing these topics, like this is helpful for me right now. Um, reading books, you know, that, you know, whether it's the Tao Te Ching or reading books that aren't about taking a side, reading books that aren't trying to validate a particular point of view, but reading books that are about rising above and seeing like rising above the conflict, the, the conflict mind, the mind of division, the mind of us versus them, the mind of we're all different. Um, it seems to me the deepest wisdom and teachings of the world all share that same perspective of like, of, of rising above the division and the nonstop pendulum swing. And, you know, when we started this conversation, you know, I'll just go back to that. Like, I would love to see leadership like in the States that takes that point of view. Isn't that what we all long for? We long for um, like the, a, a, we long to get out of this roller coaster and this pendulum, whether we recognize it or not. Like that's what I've always longed for to get out of the samsara, the back and forth, the craziness. And And that's the leadership that's needed in the world. I don't know why I'm obsessed with leadership right now, but I, I think just, you know, we've talked about this before too. Like one thing this pandemic, you know, this past year has really highlighted for me, has really pointed out is that like all these leaders, quote unquote, of the world are super flawed human beings. And they're, they're in very powerful positions and they're acting in totally human ways which is because they're human but all sense of like reverence towards most of them and all sense of like respect in terms of them being anything greater than you and i and anybody else listening to this podcast is gone like they're mostly immature like regular not regular they're just immature people who haven't actually trained their mind and who haven't actually like looked at their own shit and their own self and like 
done the deep dive into the dark corners of their psyche and they're the ones leading the worlds and i find that just like really disappointing because <laughs> uh, i think that's the world needs like true vision and true leadership the world needs people who who can call out all this bullshit that's happening right now yeah <clears throat> absolutely it reminds me of um, Graham Hancock's band, TED Talk. You, I'm sure you watched that. The War on of course, it was banned. Of course I watched it. Yeah. <laughs> well, he he's, has this one funny point in there. He's like, you know, I think all leaders of the countries, before they take office, should have, or before they become, you know, even an option, they should drink ayahuasca 12 times. And he's like, from there, then we can decide, you know, whether or not they're suitable to actually run a country. <laughs> totally. And it's true. And, it's and true. if they're not willing to do it, it, it because they're afraid, then they shouldn't be running a country because they're afraid of themselves. And if they're afraid of themselves, how the hell are they going to make important decisions with that kind of fear uh, of their own psyche? You know, uh, absolutely. I, I think that's a really valid point. And it doesn't have to be ayahuasca. It could be they have to go through some kind of self-reflective initiation process, you know, uh, that just demonstrates their self-reflective quality and their ability to not be caught up in the monkey mind, you know, and, and not allow that to apply to their leadership qualities and abilities. Uh, we'd just have a very different world if that were the case. Yeah, I mean, I think that necessity, like you're sharing, of, of having this genuine leadership is really lacking. <clears throat> and, you know, oftentimes in the morning, I'm finding myself looking, looking for heroes, you know, looking for somebody who, who I can look up to as far as, like, what I want to see in the world. And I've been having a really, really hard time doing that. Like, I... I keep coming up empty handed or, you know, the heroes who I do admire are dead or they, you know, they're, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to find people that genuinely reflect like a genuine human being or, a, mm. an, uh, yeah, like a hero, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the leadership thing and, and kind of touching on the point you just spoke on was, in this Tibetan bin tradition that we're practicing right now, every day, there's uh, the Rinpoche was teaching us that you can never gain any higher level of consciousness until you see or you desire this genuinely for the rest of the universe, like every being, mm -hmm. even in the hell realms, even the demons and all their ugly forms, like you have to genuinely desire that they have the same level of consciousness or a higher level of consciousness for you to reach a higher level of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, yeah, that's a fun idea. But I find that actually when I start to practice genuinely praying for like anything, anyone else other than myself, it feels stronger. It's as soon as I become self-absorbed and I'm like, no, but I need to, I need to get somewhere. I need mm -hmm. to be up here, you know, so I can do shit. And it's like, well, that's really selfish and it actually doesn't get me anywhere. Um, and I think that's the intelligence of this universe, this world that it won't genuinely let somebody have power or a higher level or state of consciousness until they actually genuinely care for all, all beings. Mm -hmm. And that's, 
that's a really hard state to reach. It's, I, I can see how monks go into, you know, retreat for years and years and years, praying and practicing and purifying to try and mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah, I don't know how to reach this unless I'm doing that genuinely. I could easily say, you know, I want that for all beings, but if I really sit down with it and observe my thoughts and judgments, you know, on a day-to-day basis, totally, man. Like it's actually a lot easier said than done to like truly genuinely wish that. And I think it's that practice, you know, just maybe I should try this, just spending 10 minutes a day uh, with that prayer, you know, and even if I, don't feel it initially, but to just go with that intention of like, you know, that's truly what's needed because even in my own, you know, viewpoint about what's going on in the United States and the division, and there's an element that I recognize of my own judgment. Like I'm judging the division. I'm judging the people that are involved in that debate and conversation. And I'm saying that they're lost in the pendulum. Um, But with me, saying that there is an element of <laughs> there is a judgment there and i think that the only prayer the only intention for that is exactly that practice you mentioned um, to to really engage in a heartfelt prayer for all beings and to live that um, thank thank you <laughs> thanks for the reminder <laughs> oh thank you for that even that reflection of like judging where we're at yeah i mean i it's so hard that's how enrooted this program is i think it's like it sneaks into all these different layers even as we try to discuss it we're like yeah we shouldn't do this wait we're judging it again and we're, we're getting caught in that same loop it was interesting though the rinpoche said that if you have a hard time imagining caring for all beings he says imagine yourself multiplied infinitely and then pray for yourself but as all beings and and that was it i think for me a really big awakening because that was even harder to see because it was so much easier to do to see myself multiplied infinitely and be like oh i could pray Mm. for myself (laughs) like (laughs) what a selfish asshole i'm terrible (laughs) like Mm. i have so much work to do (laughs) yeah you know it's like i don't know that the mind or my mind will ever stop judging or differentiating people. It's, it seems to be its nature, at least for me in this incarnation. And so, you know, for me, all these practices are not to change my mind or to change how my mind works, but to simply continuously gain awareness of it doing that. You know, I've heard super wise master teachers, you know, talk about this, that they're, they watch their mind judge shit all day long. They watch their mind take sides. They watch their mind do all of this. It's the only difference is that they're, they're watching it. It's not that their mind has stopped. It's not that their mind has stopped doing that. You know, and I, I imagine, you know, with a consistent deep meditation practice, the mind definitely gets quieter. And because it gets quieter, there's more space. And because there's more space, there's more ability to perceive the moments when it whatever program kicks in and that's not it's okay you know i think a part of you know uh rising above this programming is like also recognizing that the program itself there's nothing wrong with it it's 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 our nature right now this is just how it is uh and so 
like for me, it just like, it starts with like forgiving that, forgiving myself and then, and then extending that absolutely to all beings. And uh, because it's true, we are all like, I am them <laughs> and they are me. And I think that's why sometimes all the divisive uh, politics and everything really get to me because I am both sides. Like I really see, I see where they're coming from and I'm, uh, I've been on both sides. And so I feel the pain of this division as if it's an internal battle happening, which is exactly what it is. You know, if we go, you know, if you look at the Bhagavad Gita, that, that amazing text is all about the internal battle of the mind, but it's told as a battlefield, as an actual battle, but it's a, a metaphor as well. Uh, so the, this is what life is. It's like, the, the external reality of life is a bunch of metaphors for what's actually happening internally in our minds, you know, the whole thing. And for me, life is constantly showing me uh, what my mind is doing. And it's fascinating to really look at it that way, to see it, like to see the medicine of life showing me what my mind is doing. It's happening in society. It's happening in nature. It's happening everywhere. It's the same thing. It's, it's, it's it's a pendulum it's it's the wild ride so yeah that that battle for with arjuna yeah yeah and just seeing i think more metaphors in reality you know or sorry in these texts than that relate to where we're at now more than anything and i think yeah i think ultimate wisdom is like you said is the continual observation or the continual stepping out of and re observing without like this attached clinging judgmental mind even though it, it tries to sneak in um is super essential i i think and it's so hard to do it's, it's so sneaky when it comes in the mind the mind loves the the chemical feeling of being right it loves to be right and yeah, what if we're always wrong? What if we're neither? <laughs> what if we're neither? Yeah, what if we're not we're both. anything? And <laughs> but it's fun to have a side. So it's fun to have an opinion. It's fun to have a point of view. Yeah. It's, you know, or it can be fun, um, but it's also irrelevant. <laughs> well, it's always cool to have a team. It's nice to have people yeah. on your side. Yeah, man, I'm on Team USA, Team Denver Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Amazing, I'm on, man. I'm on Team Life. Yeah, yeah. Team Life. <laughs> That's a good team. And man. death. <laughs> team Life and death. Well, if you're on both of those teams, you can't lose, man. <laughs> exactly. Wait. Wait, but that's a trap, too. Dang it. It seems that Team Death always wins, right? In Thank the end? But then life, if death, wait, death is there, then life is always there. Yeah. It's basically like a, it's an even, it's a perfectly even match. Super balanced. Yeah. It's just back and forth, huh. like infinite overtime game because it's always tied, a score. <laughs> life versus That death. just blew my mind. I have to like process that. I'm just like. It's wow. a never-ending match. Yeah. 
<laughs> Amazing, Felix. Uh, did you, you mentioned something about heroes. Who is, you know, as a last, as a last point on this podcast, like, do you have a hero? Uh, yeah, I have heroes. I, I think there's aspects of these people. Like I'm trying not to idolize a single person now. Like I really want to idealize a mentality or, uh, a level of bravery or a level of courage. And, and I think for me, one of my big heroes is Bill Hicks or was Bill Hicks. Um, and Alan Watts, like, you know, we mentioned the very beginning of this podcast. It was, it was in one of these moments when I was sitting outside pondering life and death with my uh, coffee and mapacho. And uh, I realized all my heroes were dead. And as soon as I heard that thought, uh, a thought came behind that and said, well, become your own hero. And so I'm, what I want to do now is like start cultivating the same qualities that these people I looked up to or I look up to have and continue to generate them. Um, Amazing. There's a lot of people I can think of in life right now who are, who emulate these qualities and it's just now I have to cultivate the same. So, yeah. You're my hero, man. You're my hero, man. And seriously, <laughs> like, God, that these perspectives, it's sometimes hard to, to be in the middle of a conversation and you hit me with these perspectives that just blow me out of the whole perspective of everything. You're really good <laughs> Did, at that, man. Ditto, man. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess my, my hero is, I think Bill Hicks would fall in the category and I don't really have specific people. My hero is simply the, those who have done what we talk about, those who have, you know, stood up and spoken and shared the absolute wisdom of stepping outside of the drama of life and the pendulum and calling it out for what it is. And some comedians have done that brilliantly. Uh, teachers have done that, Lao Tzu, I think Jesus did that. Um, those are my heroes. My heroes are the ones who, uh, because they help me, they help me to, uh, even if it's a brief rest from suffering, you know, the way out of suffering is truly to step out of this, like drama, the, the, the drama of life, the, the pendulum, the back and forth, the stories, the division, all of it. So those are my heroes. And I think there are many of them. And I think there will be many more, thank God. Uh, and yeah, and, and my heroes are also those who reflect this wisdom directly to me, you know, through conversations and connections. So uh, you're amongst those heroes and all the amazing people in my life who I feel like we're perfectly placed here uh, in my life to remind me of all of this. There's no coincidence. So thanks to all of you. Yeah. Thanks to you. Thanks. Look at, look at what we birthed, you know, through this, like we, we birthed this exploration and beyond words. And, you know, I thank you all the time. Every time I listen to our podcast, I'm like, man, this was really, this is your idea that birthed into this. And I, I'm so grateful for you. 
I'm grateful for you, man. I wouldn't have done it without you. So it was my idea, but it's our creation. So <laughs> like, yeah, I, it's a perfect, uh, perfect mirror for each other. And I, yeah, I'm happy. To, I'm glad we're just keep, keep going. Love you guys. Love you, man. Uh, and we love you, all the listeners. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. I'll be on board. See you next time. Peace out.